A warm welcome to the Creative Places and Faces podcast, the podcast that explores places that help to inspire creativity. Some are local, some even formative, and others are far away and sometimes rather exotic. I'm Mike Payne, one of the Creative Places and Faces team. Let me introduce you to your host, Jackie DeBurka. Jackie is originally from Dublin, Ireland, but has spent a lot of time abroad, especially in Spain. She is the author of Salvador Dali at Home, creator of Travel Inspires, and the number one travel and tourism influencer, Q2 2020, according to Global Data. Over to you, Jackie. But Pity, can we go back to this two things, a couple of things I'd like to, to pick up on there. The dolphin and whale work. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that and talk to me about the environment that you were in in South Africa. Oh, un- unbelievable. It was so beautiful. Um, so I was in, uh, I was based in Nisna, which is a, a town built on a lagoon. And um, the next town over, it was Plattenberg Bay. And it mm-hmm. was it was was Plattenberg in Plattenberg Bay, and the bay would have a huge amount of um, southern white whales coming through, especially at that time of year, which was around sort of October time. By the time I was working on the dolphin and whale project, and um, so it was you know it was a highway for those whales coming from their feeding grounds and going to their breeding grounds you know Mm -hmm. and um and then there was a lot of uh dolphins coming through there and humpback whales as well and um i mean the dolphins came through in pods of about 200 at a time and and, you know I, i was out one day just sea kayaking and, yeah. Um, there was two of us in our CK. Thank goodness, because if I'd been on my own, I don't know what I would have done. And the, the, a, a, you know, a, a pod of dolphins came through, and they were as long as the boat. You know, they were massive, and and they came right up to the boat, and they're eyeballing you. You know, you're looking right into their eyes. You know, and you're you're feet away from these guys. And the, you know, but it was nearly like running with a pack of wolves. It was the it was the the aquatic equivalent of running with a pack of wolves because. You know, dolphins, you don't, dolphins, you know, are friendly towards man for the most part, but they're still wild animals. And if they decided to tip over your boat, you were in the water, you know. So, Mm -hmm. um, but it was just, it was, they were amazing. They were really amazing. Um, And thankfully nothing happened. They just kind of came and eyeballed us and, 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 you know, swam on. I, I can only just begin to <laughs> begin to imagine, like other people, not only Irish, obviously, but I had the pleasure of going to see uh, Fungi the Dolphin year, well, decades ago, actually, at this stage, which, which of course, of course, poor Fungi is missing in action, you know, or 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 possibly he's gone now at this stage. But I can imagine, Biddy, the the amazing oh. impact that hundreds of dolphins would have. When I remember just that. Like I was on a high probably for at least a day after seeing Fungi the Dolphin. Oh, I like, and so, and so, you know, this is what kind of started the writing again. So I would be having, you know, I was going through, you know, you know, obviously, you know, when you go, divorce is a really hard thing to go through and um, regardless of the circumstances and, um, you, you know, so, you know, I, I kind of set out on my journey going, oh God, like, how, you know, how am I here? Like, I can't believe I'm in this position, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, and then a few months later, I'm sitting surrounded by dolphins going, how am I here? I can't believe <laughs> I'm in this, you know? So it was the same, you could say the same words, but with a slightly different tone and it completely meant something different, you know? So, um, and so, you know, 
I felt it was those two years were really strange because I, w- I was carrying such grief and yet um, I was seeing such amazing things, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and experiencing such amazing things. You know, I mean, there was, the, there was the, you know, quintessential bungee jumping and skydiving that one must do as well. <laughs> but it was, it was the quieter things, the softer moments that maybe stuck with me a bit more. And, um, and so I... Uh, you know, I didn't have a blog. That I don't even think people, maybe people did blog at the time. I don't know, but um, but I had this. You know, I had my email and 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 you know, back. This was back in those innocent days when you knew everybody on your email <laughs> email address. Like, you know, you knew them personally, and yeah. uh, so I would just like bung everybody's name into the address. You know, like the address section, and I would just write out this this big email address home to everyone of of what you know. It, what was happening with me and my adventures. And I, and I know like for close friends and family, uh, that was an important thing for them to have because they were worried about me, you know, cause I, mm-hmm. you know, I was off on my own in the world and I, they knew I had been very sad and all that there. So it was, you know, so it was partly to say, look, I'm surviving, I'm living, I'm, I'm doing all these things and look at how wonderful I'm, my life is. And, you know, look at how wonderful the world is, you know, and it was nice to mm-hmm. go out there and, and see that the world actually was wonderful and that, you know, even though you were crushed with grief and, and loss, you could still, you know, get on with with life, you know. So that was that was a great lesson for me, if anything, of anything else, you know. Absolutely. So, yeah. So the, Absolutely. The that I, that must have come through in the writing. So I, I did I did um, have people then sort of said to me, oh, you should write, you should write. And that that's what sparked the writing again, really. That's fantastic. It is fantastic. And tell me something, Biddy. When you came back home after going through this obviously massive process that mm-hmm. I hear from from how you've described it, um, when you came home, what places did do you feel you brought with you? How had you shifted as a person with those experiences? What was indented in you, if you like? Um, I think just this idea that all things are possible. All things mm-hmm. are possible, um, but it takes time to get to them. And and the things that you thought you wanted aren't necessarily the things that you needed. And mm-hmm. and and you know, and to be patient with yourself. And and I think more than anything else, I I wanted to go back, sort of five years to when I was at the depths of my grief and my you know and the, and the, the hardest part of the divorce and sort of go. I'm here. I'm, you know, you're okay. Look, you know, if, if I could have given myself a crystal ball at that moment in time to show myself that you get through these things, you know, um, that, that, that was something that I definitely brought with me. But the other thing that I thought um, was that the, the world is a wonderful place, but it's, it's wonderful. Even you don't have to go that far away to find the wonder of it. And I think that's that's what I, I really did. And, and because I stayed in each place for so long, I really got to look closely at each place. And mm-hmm. then I realized there are wonderful places everywhere if we know how to look for them. You know? Absolutely. And also, if there's not something so difficult in your life that you can't see w- the wood for the trees as exactly. the sun goes. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. I get that. I get that. So listen, around that time, I don't know exactly how long you were home, but then around that time you met somebody who would yeah. become central in your life. So, so met, who was this? Go on, I tell met us. my husband and mm-hmm. he's really private, but he probably wouldn't want me to, t- to even say his name. So I'm not going to, I'll just call him my husband. And, um, 
And it was a, you know, um, I, I would say he's my soulmate. Now I don't want to get all mushy because he he, he hates that too, but he definitely <laughs> is. Um, <laughs> and he really is a wonderful person. And he um, he has supported my writing career, like, you know, 100%. And he, you know, I'm too, I'm so grateful to him for that as well. You know, um, he had faith in my writing before I ever had faith in it. You know, if I even have faith yet in it is, as you know, what writers can be like. Of but, course. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah. So, um, and, and we met, um, we met in a bar in Belfast as any good Irish woman knows where to find a husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's from Hong Kong. And, and so my, you know, I was, I kind of was, saying to him oh you know gosh you know you're, you're far from home and you know how long have you been in Belfast for and he said oh about 20 years so then I felt like a right agent you know and, <laughs> and then I was trying to explain to him oh it's just that I've traveled and I know what it's like to be you know uh, you know sort of not on you know not on home territory and, and out on your own and that and um, you know trying to explain why I was just assuming that he wasn't from here you know and mm-hmm. um he uh, and we got talking about traveling and and that that's that was the, that was kind of what led us into chatting and and meeting up again and and you know and forming a relationship so we formed our relationship around our love of traveling mhm okay how interesting that he he he's been in belfast and well obviously Armagh now um from hong kong well, the, the oh. interview is not a, it's not about your husband, but yeah. it's also quite fascinating. <laughs> yeah, well, he came over in 1984, I think. Well, in the mid-80s anyway, so he's been here a while now, yeah. Hmm, okay. So, look, you mentioned that he's been very supportive of your writing, and, and of course that's, you know, that's that's really huge and, and so important as well. You had begun to write fiction around this time as well, hadn't you, Biddy? Yes, I had started writing March to November, um and again a lot of it was drawn it was a, a form of catharsis and it was it was also it was just there was a story there that I wanted to explore and um and and that was and it was about divorce and it was about meeting new people and getting you know forming relationships and relationships breaking down and all that there so that's all in in March to November as well Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they say write what you know, so that's where I started, and it's set in in it's set in the holy lands of Belfast. Okay, okay. Now, so so you started writing that before you went to California because your your husband got a job offer, didn't he? Yes. So I'd started writing this. You know, when I came home from school. Um, and there was always this wee bit of a time lag between me getting home and my husband getting home from work. And, and that was a wee bit of, of time that I would just set aside and used for writing. And okay. I, that's when I started writing March and November. But it was just a wee hobby at that stage. I wasn't really, you know, thinking it was going to go anywhere. I was just playing with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was kind of like your me time and doing something a bit creative and you weren't really with any vision for it as much. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then... You obviously your husband got the job offered that took the two of you to California. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so he got offered a job in in uh, San Jose and the mm-hmm. heart of Silicon Valley, and um, you know it. it we and uh, you know on a certain level we'd always sort of said we would travel and live abroad. You know, so that when we got the opportunity to, of course, we weren't going to. Um, turn it down and and you know for me I was a bit sad leaving Rathmore and my colleagues and obviously my family back home here but it was it was just so exciting to go and do that 
Um, but I didn't want to go. I didn't want to. St- you'd have to start again for teaching. You know, I'd have to retrain and everything in America. And I didn't want to do that. So he said, well, why don't you try writing full time and, you know, see where that goes. And, and that solves a lot of problems in terms of visas and everything as well. So I said, OK, let's do that. And okay. that's what we did. Mm-hmm. OK, so, yeah, San Jose, where were you living? You know, what was the environment like? How was the new life for you? Tell us all about that. When we first went out, we lived in a, we lived in a, the third story of a, an apartment, you know, building and uh, there was no elevator so you had to go you know you had to walk up all these so we kept really fit with all these stairs and it had it had a swimming pool and everything so that was like wow this is great you know um but we stayed there for the first year and then we bought a house on the outskirts of San Jose so right on the edge of the city limits um in in the Santa Teresa foothills and um Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it wasn't that, you know, not a big massive house by American standards. It was two, three bedroom, about the average size of a, of a sort of a family home here. Uh, well, a smallish family home here. So, um, but it had a massive garden and a fantastic view. So we, that's what we we loved about it. And we had a view of the hills. And uh, you know that real, you know that real thing in like the westerns where the the vista is you know sort of flowing prairie land it kind of looked like that you know at our mm-hmm. window but and then but it was beautiful and then I was I was writing but then I was also um I started off volunteering with a local conservation group and okay. um and then that led to me getting some work in in the in conservation as well which was great um, habitat restoration is the fancy name for it, but it's actually just weeding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I and I also got work um, with a really good friend. Um, she was able to um, kind of show me some, um, throw me some work uh, with um, a conservation group that was doing a conservation butterfly conservation, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because I remember phoning home and telling my mom I had this job and I was going to be, you know, conserving butterflies. And, and she was like, well, what do you do? And it was basically going out and counting caterpillars. And she was like, you had to do a degree and a master's to count butterflies, you know, <laughs> to count caterpillars. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was fantastic. So we're out in the hills and you saw rattlesnakes and you saw all coyotes and and elk and just it was amazing you know it really was beautiful sounds absolutely fantastic and so when you went there and you were there for I think you told me six years you continued to write you did continue to write March to November didn't you yeah yeah so I was there for eight years and that was the, the the writing thing was great because um I I I we well, first of all, I joined a, a writing group and they were lovely. And then I also sort of uh, formed my another writing group because I kind of needed, an, you know, a more frequent uh, Lee meeting group than that one. And we formed a write, another writing group. Um, and like I still I still use those. Those girls are fantastic. And they're my writing go to, you know, group um, still. And thank goodness for Skype, you know, because we still meet mm-hmm. even. And now with the pandemic, they're all on, on Zoom, you know, <laughs> so it's even better. And we meet every three weeks and we, you know, uh, critique each other's work. And um, it's it's been great. Um, but the, so, uh, yeah, so the writing, you know, helped me get into a community um, of, of writers in, in San Jose. 
um, which was fantastic, you know, as well. Really fun. Yeah, obviously, obviously makes a huge difference if you can, you know, relate to like-minded people in, exactly. in a brand new area, you know, where you're living. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit also uh, at that time, you also began to write the Rejuvenation Trilogy, didn't you? Yeah, so I, I self-published March to November because I I, I just lost lost faith in, in in my ability to actually get somebody to publish it for me, and mm-hmm. um and so I just and this you know the whole self-publishing thing was was you know going out and it was quite terrifying to to put out a book that um I had no idea if it was any good and if anybody would like it and 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 they did like it and I was very pleased about that but um. But I, I really wanted to get a publisher for, for Rejuvenation. So I started writing Rejuvenation pretty much as soon as I finished writing March to November. So for a while there was, I was in tandem promoting March to November and writing Rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so was, was Rejuvenation coming to you like for quite a period of time while you were still writing March to November? How 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 was it born? Um. I, at any one time, I would have about five or six ideas on a bookshelf in my head. <laughs> yeah. And it's really just a matter of when I finished writing one story or novel, um, which which book pu- pushes itself out of that bookshop next is the one that gets written next. And mm-hmm. for some reason, well, one of the reasons Rejuvenation got written next was because it was in the near future. I wanted to get it written before I caught up with it myself. Um, you know, the technology was moving along. Even now, you know, there's there's technology in my story that's on the cusp of being, you know, developed by Elon Musk, for example. So I'm like, oh, I have to get this done. So that one, that was why it pushed so hard at that point. And um, yeah, and it was just interesting. And I and I started writing it in 2014, and um, and that was kind of the rise of uh, actually Donald Trump. Uh, in the politics world in in America as well, interestingly enough, so that that wow. made me think about you know democracy and mm-hmm. you know what did it all mean? And then there was the whole idea of big um, big tech and what does that mean? And, mm-hmm. and so so you know how does this play into our future world? And 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 so that's that's where the book sort of kind of really got born. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, just uh, describe really the the concept underlying rejuvenation for our listeners, please, Biddy. So we're in a in a in a near future which has been devastated by a war with an extraterrestrial um, mm-hmm. entity, and um, but the, you know society has picked itself up and, and 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 recovered to some extent, but the population is very heavily. Um, well, there's a lot of very aged people in the population. You know, all the sort of young and able-bodied people got um, got taken out during the war and things like that. So there's this, there's this, the, the very heavily um, dependent uh, portion of the population. And my my protagonist is a geriatrician. You know, a doctor who looks after the elderly, and mm-hmm. um, she notices this strange new disease. Now, honestly, this was written back in, you know, back in <laughs> oh, but she, she noticed this strange new disease coming uh, that only affected elderly people. And the uh-huh. first wave of it killed the elderly people. Um, but then there seemed to be a second wave of it that um, that, that 
and her grandmother was one of those people where they survived it and then they started to get younger. Mm. And um, this 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 newfound um, youth did come at a price. And so my protagonist is setting out to discover who is behind this and how can they mitigate the, the disastrous consequences of it. So. Okay. Okay. So now for for those who aren't familiar with the Rejuvenation Trilogy, obviously you've got book one, book two and book three. Mm-hmm. Book one, Biddy, where was it written? I know you started it in California. Did you, did you complete it there? And what oh, places are featured in it? It was written while I was in California. Mm-hmm. All of it was written while I was in California, but it is set in Ireland. Okay. okay. So it starts yeah. off in sort of uh, between Belfast and Armagh. Belfast is completely underwater, right? And Armagh isn't. Armagh's fine. Armagh's grand, of course. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> and they do go to the cliffs of Moher as well for a while. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. that, that's where it's set. But I, I was in California the whole time I, I was writing that. And then uh, we moved to Paris. So we left California and moved to Paris for a year. Mm-hmm. And while I was in Paris, book two was written. Most of book two was written, and it was set in California. Okay. <laughs> and then towards the end of it, some of it is set in in Paris as well. So it was kind of I, I was sort of laughing at myself that I was sort of there was this time lag between where I lived and where I was writing about, you know. So yeah, let's jump in with that. I was curious about that because of course, you know, in doing the research for, for today's chat, of course, yes, you were clearly homesick. Okay, California in some ways sounds great and you had your group and yeah. obviously the conservation work and all that stuff. So, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was a quite a positive experience, but you were homesick, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. And um, homesickness is such a hard thing to define and to 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 actually explain unless you've actually experienced it mm-hmm. um but it's like a, con- a constant dragging at you you know and it just it's just got got bigger and bigger and bigger i suppose over the years and um and then we you know i i didn't i didn't i don't like the healthcare system in in the us for example i didn't want to be an old lady living in america for example, okay, yeah, not that I'm yeah. anywhere near an old lady. I hope at this stage, but um, <laughs> but I just, you know, we were looking, we were looking towards the future and and what you know it would bring. And then the Trump era was was looming, and that that wasn't feeling right either. And then um, seems like that was a good judgment call. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, and and you know. Just it just it's one of those things though sometimes you just have to let the flow of life carry you along. And mm-hmm. you know, um my husband had um finished his contract with the he was working for Uber actually and um his contract was up and we decided to do a little bit of traveling um for three months just uh to let him have a he'd worked really hard and intensively and um we, we thought right take a break reassess let's see where where life is going and this was at the start of 2016 and when Mm -hmm. he got back 
Um, and I was, you know, I was joking. I was everywhere we visited on that three months. It was sort of like Pacific Rim, you know, um, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore. Not in that order, but that those are the countries we visited. And um, and I kept saying to him, look, I'll, I'll you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a place where I could, I could move anywhere. If you want to work anywhere you want, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you there. Don't, don't, don't be worrying about me. I can, I can lift and go anywhere, sort of thing, you know. And uh, we looked at Singapore and we looked at uh, New Zealand and we looked, you know, if, if there was job opportunities, would you go there? And and my answer was always, yes, I'll go anywhere. So um, so when we got back to and then we spent four weeks in Ireland as well. And and, and it was just lovely and uh, with really good weather. You know, when, well, it's, you know what it's like when the weather's good in Ireland? You know, it's like heaven, you know. It is. It is. Yeah. So we got back to the States and uh he got he basically got chatting to somebody about work and I I had been out doing something and I came into the house and he said he said to me parlez-vous anglais (laughs) straight away because his French isn't great so I I just said oh yes I could go there I could do that and it was Paris so um, it was the job in Paris so we couldn't we didn't say anything about it We, we sneaked away to Paris for the week, a week in July to for him to do his interview. I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't want to say anything in case it fell through and people thought, oh, you were happy enough to leave us and now you're staying sort of thing, you know. And so it was really quite exciting to have that little secret. And um, and then he got offered the job and then and that that but then that meant that we had to get packed up and leave, you know. So of course. So of course. Um, and how how did when when you moved to Paris how was that environment for you? How did it c- compare to your previous experiences of California and back home? Completely, a completely different um, experience than I've ever had before. So um, I had sort of said, we lived in suburban San Jose, you know, out, yeah. out, but quite on the edge of things, you know, again, <clears throat> walking for half an hour would take you out into the countryside, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I sort of, and, but you were very car dependent. So I said, if we go to Paris, I want to live right in the center. Can we do that? And he was like, okay, we can give it a go. And we did. And the center of Belfast, or the center of, I lived in the center of Belfast as well, but the center of Paris was just spectacular, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And we had the Seine, like at the bottom of our street. And we had uh, the Pompidou Center in our, literally in our backyard, you know? And it was, it was great. We lived, um, we lived near the um, Chatelet uh, train, <laughs> train station. My poor husband, it would take him 12 minutes on the train to get to work and 25 minutes trying to figure out how to get out of the train station. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it's so big and you come out, you know, if you come out the wrong exit, you could be miles away. You know? Oh. <laughs> so, um, but Paris was beautiful and Paris was just, it was just so different. It was exactly what you needed to do. You know, if you're going to do something and you're going to kind of get your head charred, you have to do something really different, you know, to really sure. appreciate it, you know. So there was, I mean, you know how I keep talking about the wildlife that I see everywhere and how I love my wildlife. There was yeah. very limited wildlife. You know what the wildlife in Paris was? I remember one day walking along and somebody had dropped a bag of chips beside railings. Right. Uh huh. And uh-huh. there was about, I would safely say, between ten and twelve rats out eating. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> right. They'd come through the railing from the park, mm-hmm. and I stood on the other side. Now I was safely on the other side of the road. Now I was a good distance from them, 
And I nearly took out my phone to take photographs of them. And then I saw somebody else watching me. <laughs> I thought, they're going to think I'm nuts if I do this. <laughs> and, and all I could think was, that that's the wildlife. You know, that's the only mm. wildlife I have to see. So that was that was a downside for you. But Paris, uh, of course, going back to like, I'm not going to say only the, only the 1920s, but in various stages of history, you know, for very, many important people, it's been like an absolute hub of creativity. Did, absolutely. Was it like that for you? Yes, absolutely. And it was so, like, it was beautiful. And, and okay, so one thing about the rats is that I have to also say that that wasn't really that bad of a moment for me because I'm, I'm I'm not that averse to them. <laughs> so, okay. Again, it's that curiosity. I was like so intrigued by the number of them and the way they presented themselves. And you, there, there are a lot of rats in Paris, but... Um, but it didn't, you know, it, did, it didn't bother me as such. Um, but uh, I, I, the homelessness really got to me. That that really, you know, on a very serious note, that that was the bit that really broke my heart in Paris. You know, it, it was the ugly un- underbelly of, of a place, you know. And, you know, that's just because it's so in your face in Paris. It was in San Jose too. It's here in Armagh, but you don't see mm. it. It's not as in your face, you know. So, um, but, but the, the, the buildings in Paris... And and it was just you know and my friend um, I've mentioned her before the, the my 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 butterfly um, project friend she actually came to visit me in mm-hmm. Paris and um, she really opened my eyes to the art world in Paris because we went to one of the um, we went to, to probably just one of the the churches the many churches that were around and you know they're beautiful inside and they have such amazing art we also went to that place with all the stained glass. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it, it's quite a famous um, uh, chapel. Um, yeah. Near, uh, near, I don't remember. I know yeah. I know exactly where you mean. San Chapelle, <laughs> that's what it is. Yes, San Chapelle. Yeah. So we went to that and we were standing there and she said to me, you know, imagine, you know, we, we, we see, we can just look on our phones and see pictures of things and see movies and see art and all that you know we can it's all at our fingertips but can you imagine living in medieval times when this was first built and Mm -hmm. you've never seen anything like this before and then you walk in here and you know when you go into something like that with that mindset you realize just the value of it you know and how amazing it must have been at the time you know um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was so that 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 was a real gift because then I was able to walk around Paris and pretend that I was a you know twelfth century person peasant <laughs> seeing seeing it for the first time, you know. Wow. So so listen, you know, uh with the the various places and and the rejuvenation trilogy, is there anything that really resonates with you that you think you would like to read from any of those books um i've just one wee wee short bit here from uh from the rejuvenation trilogy um and i'll keep it really short but i I think it's 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 kind of cute because it's about um arma and it is actually even edited from what's actually in the book i've kind of shortened it out as well um because it's just to get the the gist of it across okay it's it's only about a minute long um Mm -hmm. And again, it's set, Rejuvenation is set in, in 2053, okay? Uh-huh. So we have hovercrafts in 2053. I can't wait. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the hop from the Belfast Buckets to Bobby's apartment in Armagh took 15 minutes. I can never figure out which way faces forward, 
Granny said, switching seats again. You're good there, Bobby said. Let's look outside. The top half of the hover car turned transparent. I'm glad the floor doesn't do that, Granny mumbled. Below them lay the water-covered M1 superhighway. The route home from Belfast before the melters' attack had raised the level of the world's oceans. Everything had changed except the worn-down mountains. White Mountain Island loomed ahead. The hover car swept over the land rise. Then they were over Greater Loch Ness, feeding into the Portadown Pond. The hover car flew the home stretch over solid ground now. In the distance, lights twinkled in the Armagh skyline, bookended by the silhouette of twin spires on one hill and a church tower on another. The original ancient cathedrals now nestled inside gigantic church-shaped skyscrapers. I love this view of Armagh, nearly as much as I loved the original, Granny said with a sigh. We'd come down the new town Hamilton Road, see the twin spires in the distance, and sure, you knew you were almost home. (laughs) So that's it. (laughs) <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So we didn't cover, Biddy, uh, book number three, where that was written and which places are featured in it. So it was written in Armagh mm-hmm. and the features that are placed, this is really quite random. Uh, one of the features pl- uh, in it, or one of the places in it is not somewhere where I've lived, but I have visited and it's northern Norway. Okay. And um, but very briefly, we're only there for a very brief time, and then a lot of it is in is split between um, the Armagh Mountains, which is Sleepgullion, mm-hmm. and uh, Switzerland, which I've also I've I've only very briefly sort of passed through Geneva, so I haven't I you know I, I haven't been in the Swiss Mountains, and I think mm-hmm. I was writing about the Swiss Mountains because I was starting to get superstitious and thinking I always ended up in places that I wrote about. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that that would bring me there, and unfortunately, then uh, it didn't. <laughs> Lockdown happened and all that, so yeah. Well, yeah, we're all. I, th- I think the whole collective consciousness around the world is wishing for the days where it's like possible to travel again no, safely. Isn't obviously, isn't it? It will. it will. We'll be there. We'll get there. We will get there. Listen, one thing that kind of caught me. You said a little while ago about going with the flow of life. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, when you were talking about the the actual landscape of where you lived for your first four years, mm-hmm. um, I have a bit of a fascination with water. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, do you have a connection with water and in terms of how it is in life and creativity? Oh, I think I'm a mermaid, actually. But um... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, I, love, I do. I love. I do love water. Um, and again, my sports, my sporting activities. I loved kayaking. Um, in fact, uh, uh, March to November opens with a, a kayaking scene on the River Lagan. Um, mm-hmm. But I, um, yeah. So I, I, water. Yeah, there's an energy in water that I, I think we draw from. Um, and you know, rivers. Again, you know, the Amazon River was a big inspiration in my early teens and and my life but rivers and the sea water yeah water definitely is is a big part of of uh of of i don't want to say the flow again because that's just too (laughs) too kind of um cliched but yeah there there is definitely something there yeah there is something special i i I find it very much the same listen biddy since returning to Mm armagh 
how have you actually felt? Um, this is one of my favourite and a lovely short little quote, Anita Desai quote, wherever you go becomes a part of you somehow. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it does become part of you in that, but it's always about the people really, isn't it? To some degree, you know, mm-hmm. the people that you meet at wherever you are, um, you take a little bit of each person, I think, with you, you know. Um, and then sometimes if you're lucky, you know, I, I find this with California. Um, I would meet somebody in California and they would remind me of a really good friend from here. And I find that often I made friends with them really quickly and st- I'm still friends with them. And then, you know, as time goes on, you realize, oh, well, they're, they're actually two very different people. But there's there's sort of like an essence of a place and the people in the place that you carry with you. Okay, very interesting. Now, let's talk about your flash fiction work and the local community that you're involved with there. Okay, so this this came actually from originally from San Jose, um, and they, there was Lita and Tanya, two writing friends in San Jose. They started a flash fiction forum, San Jose, and mm-hmm. it was it was a basically um, very, very short pieces of, of fiction or poetry that read, you know, with a good, strong narrative. And they invited people to come and, you know, stand up and read their, their pieces of work in front of an audience, in front of a live audience. And it was to build a community, in, in, especially in San Jose, which was always very techie oriented, you know, so the cre- we wanted to course, build yeah. Create a creative community. So when I came, I I just loved the idea. But I thought it was a really good idea. And uh, when I settled in Armagh, they they have a lot of that sort of thing already in Paris. So there was no need for it in Paris. But when I settled in Armagh, um, everything here seems to be very Belfast centric as well. So I thought, well, we'll do flash fiction Armagh. And um, I I happened to bump into really randomly, you know, uh, another writer from Armagh, and he's his he he's a, an Irish speaker, and he he writes in Irish. And I said, well, why don't we do this, but also have an element of the Irish language in it too, for a bit of you know something different. And we so together we came up with this idea of flash fiction Armagh, and um, we the first night we had it was in Mulberry Bistro, and we inv- we invited submissions, and then we curated the submissions and invited those readers to come and read and it has just it has just seemed to have taken off it's gotten really popular um amongst both writers and the audience who come to watch them and it's lovely because a lot of our writers have gone on to do um great things you know and have gotten fantastic publishing contracts and all sorts of different things have come out of it. we call it the the, the, arm, the flash fiction arm of fairy dust you know <laughs> <laughs> That sounds amazing. Now, obviously, we've mentioned lockdown, you know, yeah. sporadically throughout the whole interview. So it would be rude, obviously, not to tell listeners about the amazing Zoom plays that you've been involved in. They were so much fun. <laughs> um, we, um, and in fact, yeah, so uh, Malachi and Tim and I had worked together on um, the impact the play the stage play for uh, about the Armagh train disaster and um it it was it was a really great experience working with them and I learned so much about writing from them and um and and theatre and all that and we we just had a great time and it was supposed to be staged again in the marketplace theatre last June but of course lockdown happened and so the producer of 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 it Marjorie Quinn she sort of said to us do you think you could do something that we could just do on zoom 
And so we put our heads together and we came up with Zumio and Juliet. And um, so Zumio and Juliet is about a theatre. So it's very recursive. It's about a theatre company trying to use Zoom to put on a play. But we're the behind the scenes. You know, you don't really see, you don't see Romeo and Juliet. I know some people at the end of the play last time were sort of waiting for the play of Romeo and Juliet to start because there's a lot to talk about it. But it's about how, you know, the the, the theatre company, um, you know, this this fictitious, I have to hasten to add, a fictitious theatre company or drama group is is and all the infighting. And, and of course, there was all the, you know, the references to what was going on with the pandemic and everything as well. So and it was a comedy and we wanted to do a comedy because the uh, impact had been such a serious play. And we, we and even, you know, we so we thought, right, next time we write anything together, it's going to be a comedy. So that's that's sure. where. Yeah. And then it, it went down so well. You know what? It, even if it hadn't gone down so well, I think we just had so much fun writing it and the actors just so much fun rehearsing it and performing it. And we decided, you know, then the next week, you know, the week after it, we said, right, let's do another one. And um, we based it on uh, the, the Macbeth story and um, it was called Social Bubble, Toil and Trouble. So mm-hmm. and it was it was just a continuation of what had happened and how people had gotten their revenge for things that had happened in the first play and that. So, yeah, again, another comedy. So it was great. Really good fun. Fantastic. Now, listen, we're going to look ahead in, in future days that we're all so much looking forward to when we can travel safely again. If somebody was coming whether a friend from Paris or California or who knows where, mm-hmm. if somebody was coming to your area there uh, as a visitor for the first time, yeah. where would you recommend, first of all, for them to stay? So funny because we actually had people who were supposed to come in on the 20th of May last year and we had it all worked out. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> this is the easy part of the, <laughs> of the interview. Um, yeah, so um, obviously they're going to come to Armagh. Um, mm-hmm. and doesn't, you know, we don't have um, we don't have big mountains and we don't have a coastline or whatever as such here, but we're so central. You can get to all of that from here. So that this is a good place to base yourself. Mm-hmm. Plus, if you want a day just where you're just, you know, not in the car, it's all here for you, too. You know, so um, there's lots of different places to stay in Armagh. There's a city hotel, there's the Charlemont and all that. But we have um, actually got two bed and breakfasts at the end of our street. So if we had friends coming, we would put them up in the bed and breakfast at the end of the street. Okay. So that answered. And then, um, <laughs> and then you know, um, I'm going to cheat a bit because I know you had sort of said, well, what one place would you take them to see? And um, I, I couldn't decide. So I would book oh, them in. fine. Yeah. <laughs> I would book them into uh, Donna Fox Tour. She's a, a tour guide here. She does walking tours and food tours in Arna. And the food mm-hmm. tours are unbelievably good um it's all you know sort of really um local produce and um award-winning um authors who are not authors sorry authors on the brain here award-winning <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Who, who you know are part of these food tours so i would get yeah. i would i would just book my friends you know my, my visitors in with donna and leave them in her capable hands to show them around um, all of the sites of Armagh, which you can walk around a good few of them in, in, a, in a lovely sunny afternoon. Of course, the sun would be shining, of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and then for my sort of quirky thing, um, I couldn't decide between taking them to Navenfort, which I have done with um, 
my Paris writing group came over to visit me. And okay. We took them to Navan Fort and they still talk about it. So that was good. So tell, tell, tell the listeners because not everybody knows what no, you're talking about. Okay, so Navan Fort is um, uh, an old... Um, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a monu- well it's an archaeological site that mm-hmm. dates back to pre-Christian times anywhere uh, you know but back to um, sort of I don't know is it one thousand BC even maybe as far back as that and it's 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 uh, it's where the Druids would have um, lived and that and um, I don't know if the listeners would know about Cúhollín but. Um, Cúhollín, the Hound of Ulster, he uh, would have trained here and um, uh, Queen Macha, she lived there for a while and you know, I really should know more about art. <laughs> oh, listen, I'm the same. I'm the same. And I've kind of put you on the spot. I know I've done that before. Sorry about that. But um, what I loved about Navanfort was they have this um they have this little mock-up um village um on site and uh, it was all about uh the you know like sort of the druid way of living um pre-Christian times and everything and that's really, really interesting. And mm-hmm. um and how they're you know the different laws, especially with regards to women. Um, were, uh, you know, like people of that era, it didn't matter whether you were male or female. If you were good at hunting, you were a hunter. Or if you were good at weaving, you were, a, you know, a weaver or whatever, you know. So it, you didn't, it wasn't like the women did the cooking and the cleaning and the men did the hunting and looking after the animals. Do you know what I mean? So Sounds so intelligent. It really was, yeah. <laughs> and then another really intelligent thing was that the men had to wear um, like a, a, a string around their waists <laughs> and the girth in, you know increased um this, this is obviously men who had reached you know adulthood if their girth yeah. increased it meant they were taking too much from the communal pot whereas women really? didn't have to do that because obviously with bearing children their their girth would change you know fluctuate and everything so i thought that was funny um, and then you could only um oh you could and when you got um when you first got married you got married for a year and then mm-hmm. after the first year, you could decide if you wanted to stay married or not. So that was quite nice. So intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, so anyway, so they, uh, and that was those were all the things that we latched onto on that tour that we took um, uh, at Navan Fort. But it really is it's it's spectacular. It's it's all about Irish mytho- Irish mythology as well, and it's 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 a beautiful. But it's beautiful just to walk around that area as well. Um, I would I would want to go on that whenever I'm able to get back over to Ireland. Yeah. I would be fascinated with that now because it just sounds amazing. Well, let me know if you're coming this way, and I'll make sure I you will. To, to, to <laughs> with you. Um, I will. thing I would have that I would uh, highly recommend. It's a little bit outside of Armagh, but it's like a 20 minute car journey, and it's um, Tato Castle. Mm-hmm. So Tato crisps are the best crisps in the world. Potato chips. Right for <laughs> crisps are, and um, and this is the castle where they are made. And the best thing about this tour is the freebies. You get loads of free samples, so that was that's fun. That's really fun. Oh, so that's kind of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, except oh, for yeah. the potato crisps. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, and you know, okay. the potato himself is just this big potato costumed person. That's really funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so look, I love. I'm loving your tourings. Your tour so far. What about when when you're going to take us somewhere nice for a, oh, a bite yeah. to eat at night? And again, you know, for such a small place, um, I, I was still stuck between two places. And uh, it depends on whether you want to go with local food or if you wanted to go with something ethnic. So I'd already mentioned about the lovely Indian food that you get in Arma. Mm-hmm. And so I would, mm-hmm. could either go to Spice Lounge because they're amazing or the um, and then you could also pop in. There's across the road from it. There's the um, the oh gosh, the name of it escapes me. But it's the the, the Irish language centre. It's just newly oh, oh it's just newly opened, and then it had to close down for the pandemic. But it's right across the road from it, so it's really interesting as well. But um, yeah, so there's the uh, Spice Lounge or Uluru, which is right in the centre again in Market Street. So maybe that's why um, I I like it because Market Street's so close to my heart. Um, but it is actually in one of those buildings that I, as a child, remember burning. Uh, <laughs> <on one of laughs> um, but it's it's uh, it's it's lovely. It's really nice food, and it it was originally um, started by uh, somebody who was from Australia, hence the name Uluru. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so um, so those are my. Uh, that's where we're going for our fancy dinner. So you'll have to come for more than just one night, so we can try both places. Okay. <laughs> And then for sort of like a sort of ordinary little quite kind of snacky foods, um, everyday food like lunches or coffees, um, there is um, Mulberry Bistro, which was our first mm-hmm. home uh, to the Flash Fiction Arma people, but also they've won Best Bistro um, a couple of years ago and maybe a couple of years in a row as well. And mm-hmm. then there's um, Rumours, which is in Market Street as well. So if it's a sunny day, we can sit outside Rumours with the coffee. So that's okay. Nice. That sounds great. Now, of course, it would be very weird to go to an Irish or an ordinary Irish uh, location and not go for a drink or two. <laughs> Where, where would you where would you be taking me? Okay, indecision.com again in one respect in that why don't we just do a pub crawl of the town? <laughs> <laughs> we okay. can literally start at one end of the town and I can guarantee you you will not see get to the other end of the town because there's so many bars and good bars in Arma. So I thought you were insinuating <laughs> something else there. <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, but that, there's so many of them that uh, yeah, I mean we'd we'd maybe make it halfway through and then and then we'd be so sad. We'd have to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And any life, any life. If it was a lovely sunny afternoon, we could go out into the country. There's a lovely place called Basil Shields. It's out in Tassa, and it's uh-huh. it's actually um, along a road that has been named as one of the prettiest roads in Ireland. In some oh, really? Way or other. So um, I don't know how they decide these things, but this is this is its claim to fame. But it has like picnic tables out by the river. So you could sit out by the river on a lovely May afternoon with the sun beating down on you and have a few wee drinks there. So that's, oh, that sounds lovely. Now, what was the name of that, that last place video? I didn't quite catch it. Basil Shields. OK, OK. Yeah. Okay, that sounds brilliant. Now, listen, I'm so looking forward. I'm so looking forward to that whenever the day arrives. <laughs> so, listen, one of the things that I completely forgot to ask you um, was, of course, you studied and you thought biology, and we mentioned much earlier on about that would have been playing a role, of course, as well oh, as the yes. environments in your writing. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. Sorry, Biddy, I forgot to ask. No that. problem at all. Um, so, again, the the uh, the thing with the biology was that it's, it's well, first of all, and I'm never going to do this again, but my protagonist was a doctor. And okay. so having a protagonist who is, is much cleverer than you are is really hard work. 
<laughs> so I had to make my readers believe that I, you know, that 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 I knew what I was talking about. So I had a lot of research to do, and um, and so the biology was, uh, you know, came in handy there. And then even for the the concept of what was causing, I don't want to give anything away, but for to explain what was causing uh, this um, rejuvenation, I didn't. I wanted it to be like what they call hard science fiction, in that um, that it's completely plausible that this could could you know, completely happen, you know? And so mm-hmm. it needed to be something that was, uh, that I could scientifically explain, if you like, even if the technology isn't available now, that in the future it might be. Um, right, okay, so, yeah. So um, so that was part of it. And then there was a whole, there was, there's a whole section on, on viruses, but it's, you know, um, and again, not wanting to give too much away, but don't, don't think that this rejuvenation was caused by a virus. Not, it wasn't necessarily caused by a virus. So, but there was a whole, you know, exploration about viruses and the use of viruses to deliver other things, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. so, uh, so that all had to be researched and I had to understand what a vaccine was. That's come in handy. Um, <laughs> so um, so all of that, um, all of that played into uh, rejuvenation. And then the other thing was like, I really wanted to play with this idea of the ice caps have melted, but I, uh-huh. I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be sooner rather than the projected later. Um, and so I, that's why we ended up having it, that they were melted on purpose by another entity. So, um, yeah, so that was all my environmental biology coming in there. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Now, listen, finally, what are you currently working on and uh, what places will or are being featured in, in this work? Well, life is all about cycles, isn't it? And uh, so when we came back from, uh, one of the first things I did when we came back to live in, in Ireland after living in Paris and, and, and America was I, I was looking to see what was on locally and in our in the Armagh County Museum there was a talk being given by none other than Mike Bailey one of the professors that I had worked with in Denver. Yes, I remember. So mm-hmm. yeah so I went along I didn't say anything to Mike I just popped up hadn't had any contact you know how back in those days when you you know people weren't connected by the you know like by social media and all like the way they are now. So I just went and sat in the front row and I thought, I wonder if really recognised me. <laughs> and they came in. You know how you had that wee bit before you actually get up to speak where you just sort of come in and sit down and get your notes together. And he, he was like, oh my God, Billy, hi. You know, so, um, <laughs> but I, so I sat and listened to his talk and his talk was fabulous. But he, he was going on, he was, he was going through the chronology and how they had identified. And I mean, we we talked about this often in our lunchroom, but just hearing him talk about this again, and he he had a little, he had few a few more nuances to add to his series. Um, but he picked up on this moment in time in twenty three fifty four BC, mm-hmm. where the tree ring chronology gets really narrow. Where the tree rings are really narrow for a period of nine years. So what that means is that for nine years. The Things were not good. Was so bad mm-hmm. that nothing grew. Ooh. Right, and he he also said that at that time there is evidence, and I know the tree he's talking about because I've counted the, that particular sample. I've seen that sample with my own eyes. But he has this sample, and there is a gouge in the wood in the bark, and these are sub fossils. So they they fell over at this 
period of time, probably because of flooding or because the land was so, you know, uh, waterlogged, right? Mm-hmm. This gouge in the bark tells the story possibly of um, a floating debris and that this, right? And then he, he happened to mention something about uh, a tsunami that could have come in over the Barmouth and down you know, into Loch Ness. So over, over the north coast, a tsunami so big that it came over the north coast of Ireland and flooded and raised the level of Loch Ness. Wow. Now, what year did you mention again, Biddy? So this is 2354 BC. Okay, okay. So we're talking about 4,000, just over 4,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And, um, and then that, that, that water would have taken a long time to recede and the fact that those the, the, the water levels were high would have meant, you know, um, but what was it that what could have caused this tsunami to take place? So this is this, you know, these are things that they don't know. They do know that there were uh, volcanic eruptions periodically because they um, they found the volcanic ash in the layers of bog at those moments as well. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, wow, can you imagine going back to that moment in time and seeing that tsunami? And I thought, wow. Why imagine it? Why don't I just set a just write a story about it? So that's what my next novel is about, and it's a dual timeline. So I have a twenty three fifty four BC storyline, and then a twenty fifteen. There's no way I was going anywhere near twenty twenty. Oh. <laughs> That would be. I don't. No I don't blame you, Biddy. I don't blame you. I couldn't. I couldn't do that. And um, and so um, and so I'm I'm playing about with a couple of different themes in that story as well. I'm playing about with the theme of of what story means even to people and your legacy. It's all about legacy and story and fertility and things dying and things not being able to survive. Mm, okay, that sounds fascinating. Now. Are you in so much of an early stage of the of that book that you won't know possible publication dates? Yeah, or I'm, I'm really, it's, yeah. I mean, it's really. I've got I've got it sketched out plot wise. I've got about the first twenty to thirty thousand words written, and now mm-hmm. I'm at that stage where I'm going back in and and playing about with that bit so that I can have it well set up for flowing into the next bit. Okay, fantastic. It sounds it sounds brilliant. Listen, um, for those of you who haven't read Biddy's book so far, we're going to have links on the transcript page of the of the podcast, so it'll be all very um, easily accessible. Everything Biddy's Biddy's website itself and the books, obviously, that you might want to be buying. Um, Biddy, anything else you'd like to tell us? I've just really enjoyed our chat today. It's been brilliant. <laughs> I can't think of anything. I'm all talked out. A bunch of things. Um, just that um, I just I, I just want to thank um, uh, sort of my my writing. I've talked about my writing groups in Paris and my writing group in California and how wonderful they are. But also my writing community here in 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 Ireland um, and in in the north here, Women Allowed Northern Ireland are fantastic, mm-hmm. and um, and. People like Karen Mooney, um, who have been real champions of, of you know, helping me promote my work and everything like that. So 
Um, and uh, yeah, so there, there's so many people to thank. I'm afraid to start, you know. So yeah. um, <laughs> I know it's a difficult it's a, it's a difficult one. I know for myself when I did the credit for the for the Dali book that I wrote, mm-hmm. you know, it is difficult. You don't want to leave people out, and then you're put on the spot. So it is awkward. I also wanted to mention Karen Moon, Karen Mooney because thanks to Karen that she got the two of us together. Yeah. Um, so I'm really grateful for that, Karen. Thank you very much. Listen, thanks so much, Biddy, for joining us today on Creative Places and Faces. Here I hope you enjoyed it. it. Oh, I did. <laughs> good, good, good stuff. Now, for, for our listeners, we have a lot of fascinating guests who have been recording away this month, uh, coming over the coming weeks and months. So we hope to see you all again very soon. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast. If you would like to apply to be a guest or a sponsor, be sure to check out the links below the podcast. Until next time, from all of us here, take care, stay safe, and be creative.